Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, pastoral resident Jacob Mills continues a series called What is Going On, where we read the entire Bible in a year. Paul's two letters to the Thessalonians shows the people are near and dear to his heart. And the people are also going through external and internal turmoil, which is why he's writing to them twice. Jacob mirrors Paul's letters by focusing on three topics. One, conflict from outside the church. Two, internal conflict. And then three, how we look forward amid conflict. After the message and throughout the week, read the letter to the Thessalonians. Also, check out nwhills.com slash hub, that's H-U-B, for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message. So some of you have had the opportunity over this last year to get to know Jacob a little bit. Jacob is our pastoral resident. He is a young man with a heart for Jesus who has kind of come alongside with a lot of the things that we are doing as a leadership team. He is an engineer by trade, but has committed to joining us this whole last year. He sits in on all of our lead team meetings. Uh, He has taught a couple different times. So a number of you have met him before, but if you have not, this is Jacob Mills, young man. Um, This is his... Yeah, this is his last... This is his last kind of official duties as pastoral resident, kind of a year-long uh, commitment. And so uh, we want to send him out with a lot of love. Um, I have a gift for you. Oh. Um, but seeing as I was gone last week, it's not going to be prepared until next week. And so... I'll I, be back. I'll, I, don't worry. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> He'll still be here. This uh, is my home. Yeah, this is good. And so um, thank you, Jacob, for bringing us the word this morning. So um, give this guy some love. Thank you, Jacob. <laughs> Well, good morning. This is, it's so sweet to be up here just the summer and with family here and with friends and just my church family around me. I don't know. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, today we're going to be getting into the book of First and Second Thessalonians, the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And I know in my own upbringing, in my own like personal study of the word, when I went through it by myself, this was uh, an epistle. These epistles really stuck out to me personally. These are epistles that are really heartfelt um, they cover unique topics that a lot of other Paul's epistles don't cover. Um, and when I was asked personally to go through this epistle, I just, I got really excited. I got really, really excited. But um, before I really get into that, I really just, I have to thank you guys all so much. Um, like I said, it's really sweet to be up here. And this past year as I've gotten connected to Northwest Hills and Mariah and I have found a family here. It's just, I, we, we can't fully explain it. Uh, how welcomed and loved we felt just for the lead team and how they've taken me under their wing, allowed me to prod at their mind a lot and get a better understanding of my own faith along with how to lead. Uh, just to the rest of the church family, shout out to the young marrieds for taking us under. Um, there's just, I can't thank you all enough for the friends and family that I have here in the church and for the friends and family that are here with me in the front, in the front few seats. Thank you, honestly. I love you guys very much. Um, <laughs> but uh, enough of the pleasantries. I have a lot that I want to speak about today um, with First and Second, Second Thessalonians. It's not a very long set of epistles. It's only like, what, less than 10 chapters in total. Um, so a, a, not as much to go through, but a lot, to, a lot of content in there. 
Um, and I want to get to the meat of it really, really quick. Um, uh, where was I at with that? Yes. So if you've been following our church, or if you haven't been here before, I'll give you a little bit of a background. Um, this past year, Northwest Hills is committed to going through the entirety of the Word so that we can get a better understanding of uh, God's Word in general. And so this started back in September. We got into Genesis, and we began our, our, our study. Every week we've been going through a different book. Sometimes we've had to lump them together, whether that be the Minor Prophets or this week with the First and Second Thessalonians. Um, moving on into Easter is when we got into the New Testament with the Gospels of Matthew. Um, and bringing that on to nowadays where we're getting into Paul's epistles, uh, which means that we're nearing the end as we get into the end of summer. I think it's really exciting that we get to get to this point. But um, getting into First and Second Thessalonians, a little, a little bit of a background. Uh, this is, I think, as you read it yourself this week, um, you'll see that this is a letter that, and a church, personally, that Paul was really, I don't know, near and dear to. Um, the language that he gives, the, the way that he goes about explaining and encouraging the church, you can tell this is a church that's very near and dear and close to his heart. Um, for context, if you want to follow through with how Paul got to this church, you can open up the book of Acts, going back to chapter 17, starting in verse 2, you'll see that he gets introduced to Thessalonica, um, that he's there for a number of Sundays, he establishes a church, um, and that from there he continues to move on in his second journey. Um, but just from that point, um, we see a church that he has a lot of heart for and a lot of love for, um, but also a church that's gone through a lot of turmoil, uh, both from the outside, and as we get into Second Thessalonians, we'll see that there's some turmoil from the inside. And so uh, the reason that Paul decides to then write to this church is because of that. Um, he sees a church that's receiving a lot of pushback from the culture. Um, we see that there's lies that have been disseminated from the inside. And he decides to encourage and lift up the church in this way. And that's where we get First and Second Thessalonians today. Um, and we'll get into, into some more background as we get into it. But I want to get into the Word. So if you'd open up your Bibles, if you don't have your own, there's one in the seat back. And would you stand with me? We're going to be starting in First Thessalonians. We're going to be reading the first... 10 verses. Let me open it up myself. <clears throat> All right, 1 Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kinds of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
Now I'm going to say, this is the word of our Lord, and we're all going to say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, some things to be wary of, or not be wary of, some things to think about as you get into the word this week. Um, Paul has a number of different topics that he looks to cover, um, but the structure of how we read a book and what we're looking for is also very important. Um, the way that I organized this sermon, I, plan, I, kinda, I wanted to keep in line with uh, the content of what Paul was going about in these, in his, in these epistles. And so with that, uh, Paul is very interesting in these, in particularly 1 Thessalonians. Um, the first three parts of this book are set into three different prayers that he uses as a base of encouragement for the believers there. Um, and with that, he tackles certain topics that the believers are covering at that time. And so as you read from it, look for those prayers. Look for those words of encouragement that Paul is looking to give this church. Um, originally, I was planning on ending every part of the sermon with going into prayer. I timed it, and it was like an hour long. So I'm not doing that today. Um, but do it on your own time. Think about how you would feel encouraged as you read through this and how we take this into our own lives in a way. Um, but continuing on, Uh, If you're taking notes, we're going to be talking about three particular topics today, and I'm going to say them out here. First, we're going to be talking about conflict that comes from outside the church, and what do we do with it? We're going to be talking about internal conflict that the church has to deal with, and then we're going to be capping it off by talking about how do we look forward towards, or how do we look forward in the midst of of these conflicts, because we're all going to come across conflict, and we'll kind of break that down further as we get into this. But those are the three main points. Conflict from outside the church, and how do we go with it? Conflict from inside the church, and how do we move forward from there? So getting into it, uh, starting with the first point, outside conflict. We know that the Thessalonians dealt, the the Thessalonian church dealt with quite a bit of pushback from the culture in a multitude of ways. I had mentioned that Paul originally came to Thessalonica. He stayed there for a little bit. In, in honesty, he went straight to the synagogue. Right when he got to Thessalonica, for three successive Sabbaths, he went to the synagogue, and he debated, and he shared the gospel there. Now, um, Paul was a Pharisee before he um, became a Christian, and so he was very comfortable in that. He knew what things to look forward to and how to talk to his people in that way. So that's why he went to the synagogue in that sense. Um, But due to this, this created a a lot of conflict within the Jewish community. Um, The people there in Thessalonica saw Paul as kind of a threat uh, to the synagogue in that way. And so because of that, uh, they wanted him out. They wanted to get rid of him. And this led to the Jewish people in that area uh, getting support within outsiders and Gentiles of the same like. Um, And they would raise up a riot. They'd get a lot of people frustrated and this would all go to pushing Paul out. Um, there was a lot of conflict that was raised. There was a riot, and uh, the people of the Thessalonian church decided that you know it's probably safer for Paul to move on to the next town, and that's where he goes under Berea. Again, you can follow this for yourself going back to uh, Acts chapter 17. Um, but from there, afterwards, Paul continues to get reports from Timothy and other scouts um, who give updates on the surrounding churches. Um, and during this time, we hear that The persecution hasn't stopped. Um, The primary target or argument that was used to increase the persecution against the Thessalonican church um, 
was one that was actually very similar to uh, how the Jews dealt with Jesus back in their day. Um, they would appeal to the Romans and say, these Christians have claimed that there was another king, that there was another king higher than Caesar. Um, and due to this claim, which is true in some sense, uh, it raised a lot of conflict within the Romans. And so with the Romans, the Gentiles, and the Jews, um, they would all push back against the works of the church. And Paul would hear about this um, and how they're still staying strong, as we're going to see in First Thessalonians. Um, but he decided to write a letter of encouragement to where they're at. Um, so we know that there was a lot of conflict coming on from the outside. And I feel like that's something a lot of us can relate to nowadays, especially within the past 10 to 15 years. Uh, you think we just got out of a month called Pride Month? Sense of people who hate the image of God and who they were made in the image of God and have decided to make themselves a God in one sense or another. Um, I think if we look at the language that the Jews were using to fight against the Christians, that they were claiming that, you know, there was another God who was um, higher than the, than the Roman God at that time. We can, we can create a lot of similarities between that and now, except we don't have a Roman God or a Roman uh, leader who is leader over our society. The, the main leader, the people that, the person or thing that people point to nowadays the overall God that they make themselves is what we're going to call self-definition. We're going to call it radical individualism. That is ultimately the God that people point to nowadays. And what is that? It's simply that I am the only one who can know anything about myself, to think that you can define yourself or know anything about yourself, or sorry, to think that you can know anything or define anything more than I already know is signs that would point to, I don't know, cultural suicide in some ways. And so we're living in a time where people who want to uh, define themselves apart from who they are in God's image, um, and that we run into conflict a lot of that. Because as Christians, we know we are image bearers. We are people made in the image of God. We can't run away from that. God created us. And because of that, he is the one who solely gets to define who we are and what we, what we are. And when you have that narrative in conflict with the narrative that is popular in today's society, we're obviously going to come into conflict all the time. And as we saw with this last month of pride, you see, I, you know, I was talking to a friend who, um, he had done a lot of tabling on campus at OSU, and there was a bazaar that they hold in the MU quad every year. And he does a ministry there um, supporting and dealing with uh, people who have, who have identity issues. And he speaks truth into their, into their lives and looks to encourage them. Um, and just these past few years, he has gotten considerable amount of pushback. He's simply sharing truth, you know. He, they, they, they initially welcomed him there, and he's looking to share truth in some way or another. Um, but up until the point nowadays where he goes there, and he's actively bullied, not by students, but by staff of OSU. People are pushing him off and like, get, literally getting physical with him to the point where he, he feels no longer welcomed. That's the type of culture we're living in right now. Nowadays, the culture would look at us as someone who's archaic, geriatric in a sense. We're not moving with the times. That's the type of culture we're living with and we're fighting with nowadays. So we can relate with the Thessalonian church in more than one way, more than, more, in many, many ways. Different, different types of topics, but very similar background. 
but how do we go about this? You know, we know that there's going to, con- there's going to be conflict that comes from the outside. How do we do this? You know, do we roll over? Do we do with what the culture wants just so we can have our happy fun time here on Sundays and talk about some things and then go back to living a completely different life? Let's look to what the word has to say on that. Um, I'm just going to kind of follow through with these, and you can follow along as you take notes. Uh, I'll be looking in 1 Thessalonians. We'll be looking through chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. We'll be eventually moving down to chapter 4. But um, as you write that down and as you read through it this week, what you're going to see Paul talk about and explain is that there's a great, well, one, the great grace of God that that the Thessalonians Um, accepted the word, and continued to act out the truth that they were told. They didn't take it as just, you know, that's that's something cool, and I know that, but um, no, they walked out their faith. Moving on to chapter 4, right at the beginning of the passage, um, we see Paul looking to encourage, encouraging them to walk in the sanctification that they had already known. That's just a fancy word for saying they accepted what is to be true about what God has said about this world, and they were acting it out in how they lived their lives. Not just in the home, but at work with their children and with people around them. Paul mentions specific topics like sexual immorality, very pertinent nowadays, and the worship of idols, extremely pertinent nowadays. So what we see from the word is that to combat the ways and conflicts of the outside— Oddly enough, we have to double down, in a sense. We are called as Christians, as people who identify with the deity of Christ, that he paid for our sins on the cross and has now accepted us into his family. We're oddly enough called to follow in line with what we believe. To walk in the truth that we know and that we hear from the word as we study it and get closer with him who we identify with. It's not simply something that I would tell you or that Pastor Josh would tell you. You're not identifying with me. You're identifying with him. You're identifying with Jesus. And that identity runs much further than we understand sometimes. And I think as you grow in maturity and in your own faith, What you come to understand is that it's all-encompassing. It's a topic we'll talk a little bit further on as we get to the third point. But um, when we come across conflict from the outside, what it forces us to do is point to him and understand him better so that we know how how to talk to the people around us, how to share truth and love, how to demonstrate grace in the midst of people who are not looking to be too nice to us. It's a hard truth to swallow because it's so much easier to not have to deal with that. It's so much easier just to, you know, say what I need to say and go about my life. It's not an easy truth. But I think as we'll get, as we'll see later, it's founded on something so much deeper than just the here and now. It's founded on him and what he's going to be doing. So that's point one, conflict from the outside. Um, Next, internal conflicts. I had mentioned that there was internal conflict, and uh, we see a lot of this in 2 Thessalonians, um, particularly. One of the larger reasons that Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians was because, one, there was increased persecution from the outside, but two, there was a lot of internal strife within the church at that time. 
What had been going on was some, someone within leadership or from the outside, we don't know exactly who, but someone had said that Christ had already come back. And that obviously raised a lot of red flags. Sirens were raising. Wait, Christ came back and he didn't bring us? That'd be pretty alarming to most of us if that was, if that was something going around nowadays. And so um, hearing that, Paul decided to act and he wrote to, to break down the lies and to let out truth and say, hey, this is actually what's going on. We're going to be expounding on that a little bit more because it's really, that's what leads to um, a really interesting talk on end times in that case. But we know that it created a lot of internal conflict within the church that Paul had to break down in that time. Uh, if you want to follow that, that's in Second Thessalonians, starting in chapter 2, when he really starts to break that down. Um, another internal conflict that Paul tackles in the, thes- in the second epistle, starting in chapter 3, um, deals with idleness. Um, this is honestly a topic that I could spend a whole sermon on because it's uh, both in the context of who Paul was speaking to at that time, but also in how that affects us today. Um, I know for my, myself, I've had to deal with seasons of idleness in times where I don't want to be around people, and so I find reasons not to be around people. Or I don't want to make a decision, and so I, I make a decision not to make a decision. Um, I feel like we can all get into some, yeah, it's a very easy decision sometimes. And so Paul confronts both of these things. And I think what I want to highlight with these topics in general, as Paul goes through both of them, um, is one, share truth and love. But a very important point that Paul mentions is that we're to still look at these people, these people within the church that they're talking to, they're still your brothers and sisters in Christ. They still are under the identity as Christ is Lord. And so we're still as to treat them like that. We're not to follow in their ways. We don't want to follow along with what they're doing. But at the end, they're still my brother and sister. And there's something that's supposed to come out of that. We're supposed to share the love of Christ with them. We're supposed to Love them in the way that, again, that doesn't mean we follow in line, but that means that we speak to them. That means that we care for them. That we spend time trying to work through these issues together. Because, my brother, you're someone I love. And again, this is something extremely pertinent to how we're going going on nowadays. I mean, how many of us have seen churches close down due to a number of different issues? Could have been COVID and numbers were down. There's been church splits that I've seen. Um, I, I don't want to get into specifics of it, but it gets really, really nasty sometimes. And we know that it's something that we are dealing with nowadays The church has always had to deal with. And many times, conflicts have arisen within the church that causes the church to grow and get a better understanding of our own doctrine in a way, and that's beautiful. But it can also be hard, and it's something that we have to be aware of, that we know is happening, but we need to take very seriously. And Paul speaks about it here. Um, But I think as we're looking to deal with this conflict or with internal conflict, I think ultimately we need to reflect back on what Jesus has said about this. And so if you turn with me to John, the book of John, chapter 17, I'm going to be reading verses 20 through 23. And we're going to read this and reflect on what Jesus has said and how we can apply that to what we're hearing here in 2 Thessalonians. So John 17, verses 20 through 23. I'll read them out here. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all they may, that they may be all in one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that you may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This topic that Jesus is talking about here is unity. And there's a number of different reasons. One, it's practical. There's an apologetic reason that goes into this. The fact that um, we would mirror as image bearers um, our Savior, our Christ, in that way and seek to be united as one, as again, our identity is in him. It all points back to him in our identity. Um, and it's something, again, it's, it's a topic that gets to the heart of where we're at as people. Because nowadays, again, as we talked about in the external conflict, the God of our culture right now is individualism, radical individualism. And so though we may disagree with it, we're still impacted by the culture. And so what does that look like nowadays? The idea of church hopping, for instance. The idea that the church is solely here to serve my purposes, in a way. We may not say it, but we'll act on it. How, how easy is it to go, to go to the church down the street where a preacher is saying something that makes me feel a little happier than the guy back there? Maybe the worship is a little bit better up here. I don't know. It's really easy in the society to be solely focused on what I want. And I think there's conversations to be had on all the specifics of this. I don't want to, I want to make it clear that I'm not saying that those things do not matter. But what I'm saying above all else is that we are united under the identity of a Christian. We relate with him who died on the cross. And so that needs to be first and foremost in our conversations when it comes to dealing with these topics. The love that I have for my brother, for my fellow sister, and when we find these conflicts coming from the inside, that needs to be at the forefront of my tongue and my lips as I talk to you, seeing that you are my brother, that I love you as such. Now with the time that I have left, which a little bit of time, we're doing all right, um, I want to touch on the thing that I'm really most excited about with this particular message because it's something that I had mentioned it's uniquely touched on in these two letters is um, Paul gets into a discussion about end times. The fancy word is eschatology. Um, it's a topic that in different church upbringings uh, has been either extremely unimportant and I don't really learn about it until you're like 50 or so, or it's one of the most primary things and you're not saved if you don't believe this exact thing. Um, I've come across people from a lot of different areas, and it seems to, there's a wide variety of views on the end times. And I just want to make it clear today, I don't plan to get into the weeds with this. I actually, I'm mirroring, mirroring my message um, with the foundation that I believe Paul has set in these two letters. And that being, if you read them for yourselves, and as I go about them here in just a second, Paul 
um, sets the, the foundation, the line of, hey, this is what we know to be true. This is what we know to be true about what is to come. And this is how we go about this. So what do we read in this? Because I had said that people had said that Jesus had already come back. And so Paul lays the line and he says, this is what's true. This is what we know to be true. Let's start from there. Let's be encouraged on what's to come from here. So if you're starting in 1 Thessalonians, Paul gets into it. He details out, as you read it for yourself, a number of the major events of the coming of our Lord. We know that the believers that can't, we know that believers can have hope because of who we are in Christ. So read that in chapter 2. We know that there'll be a raising of the dead in the restoration. And we know that the day will come like a thief in the night, meaning it's, it's going to be unexpected. We're not going to know the exact time. Now, because of this, Paul's conclusion, he calls us to be encouraged and to build one, other, one another up daily. Moving into 2 Thessalonians, we get into it right in the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 9. Paul tells of the coming judgment for sin. We know that there's going to be a glorification of the Lord Jesus. And that until the judgment, we're called to be wary of this man of lawlessness. Now, um, that's another topic that can be expanded on a little bit. Um, We're not going to get into that today, but I think a a very important point that Paul talks about here is that throughout how the man of lawlessness works, which I believe to be the Satan, he is being restrained. And that nowadays, even today and back in that day, he was being restrained to some extent, Um, which I think is very, very interesting. You You can follow that all the way back to like the book of Job if you really want to, but um after going through that, you know, you, you start to wonder, well, why do I mention this? Why is this something that I want to spend so much time and that I get so excited about? Why do I really care about this? You know, I know it's going to come, whatever. Well, there's a number of questions that I want you to be pondering uh, as we kind of finish this out in the next five or so minutes. And that being, what does it mean for us that Christ is reigning on the throne? Write these down if you can. What does it look for us? What does it mean for us knowing that even though the Satan is working, his intentions, his intentions are still under his authority? What does it mean that he's going to come back? Like, why do I care again? And to really expand, expound on this topic, this has been a topic that has been touched about in smaller parts throughout different epistles, throughout different psalms, but there's a lot of different topics to talk about. And so um, I'm just going to take a second and go back through a few of those passages. We're going to run through them really quick, um, but keep in mind a continual theme throughout all of this. So I'm going to start with one of the most quoted Psalms in the New Testament, that being Psalm 110. I'm not going to read through these, but I would urge you to go back and read through it yourself and just see the beautiful picture that's laid out ahead of you. So a number of passages, one looking at Psalm 10. If you read through it yourself this week, which again, I encourage you to, what's gonna, what you're going to see is just an honestly triumphant and exhilarating message that points to the Lord's majesty and his victory over his enemies to come. That's starting in Psalm 110. If you want to turn the page back, a few pages actually, to Psalm 2, you're going to get a very, very similar message and one that's actually going to be referenced in Matthew 28, which we're going to get to in just a sec. 
If you want to continue on through the Old Testament, you can turn to Daniel chapter 7, looking at verses 13 through 14. A beautiful passage as we see the Ancient of Days come and reign and see how he works with his enemies and defeats his enemies ultimately. And next we're going to come to the Great Commission, getting into the New Testament and seeing Jesus. Like I had mentioned, this was talked about in the Psalms and even before then. But looking at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Again, read it for yourself if you don't already know it. But what we see is a continual theme throughout all of these. It's a culmination of all that has been talked about, coming together in the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ over all things. All things. It's not just here on Sunday. It's not just at my Bible study. He has authority over all things, both past and present and the things to come. And because of this, what we see in Matthew 28 is we are commanded to go make disciples of all people, of the world. Now we could honestly end it off right there because it seems pretty clear as he's demonstrating his lordship. Um, but I have one more passage that, I, that I'm going to read out. And I love it because, well, Paul's writing it through the Spirit and he makes it ever so clear. So if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. I love this passage so much. Okay. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, and here, here's where I love Paul. He says, but when it says all the things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who puts all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. I invite you to again, read through that passage again. Begin to understand the connections of where is Paul going about. But what I really hope and pray, beloved, that we see and what's communicated here in these passages is just the peace and understanding that comes to know that Jesus wins in the end, yes. But more importantly, that Christ is winning now. He is reigning on the throne. He is winning now. Can we get an amen for that? Our Lord is reigning over this earth right now. And this is something that as people who call him Lord, this has major implications, again, for more areas than we can even come to understand. Remember that the Great Commission was not simply a suggestion. It was a command. And we're called to respond in obedience and love for what he is doing. This impacts how we raise our kids. This impacts how we go about our work, how we talk to our friends, how we walk with our friends far-reaching impacts. And again, pulling this back, 
This is wrapped up in our identity. This is wrapped up our identity of someone who we point to. I think sometimes we can get too far off the path and um, get lost in the weeds of what this is. You may be wondering, wait, how'd you get connecting from our identity to like lordship and then all this thing? Well, let me make it crystal clear in here. We live in God's world and he, he created us and he brought us here. And he saw our brokenness. He saw our sin. And yet through that, he created covenant with us. And from the beginning of time, his plan has been going forth. We see it in the Old Testament with the Jewish people and continuing on into the new covenant. We see how Jesus came down to this earth, how he lived the perfect life apart from sin, and then ultimately how he sacrificed himself on the cross relationship that I do not deserve. None of us deserve. And that same person who wants a relationship with me and you is now reigning on his throne. He didn't, the thing is that's, that's crazy to me is he could have left it right there. You know, like I got my, I got my salvation card. We're good. But he sees me in my brokenness and he walks through me with sanctification. That just means He's left, us, he's left us with his spirit and he's making us more like him. Our identity is in him. When I make him Lord of my life, I am saying that I want to be like him, that he is the one leading me in my daily walk. And that as we go about our day, we can trust and have peace that this isn't all for naught, that we're going to get to the end and it's like, ah, shoot, you know, we chose the wrong one. We can have confidence and peace in who he is and what he's doing and where we know where it's all going to go. But we know that he's doing good work now. He's doing good work tomorrow. And he's going to do good work in the restoration. And I don't know if there's people here who probably don't know who this person is, who don't have that relationship with him, And I would just invite you today. I would urge and beg that the Spirit be working on your heart. That it brings you to a point where you want to get to know this person who loves you more than you can even begin to imagine. Something that I cannot fully grasp. The Father has done a work in you that that none of us deserve. And so... As we bring this to a close and we just reflect back on his lordship and what he's done in our lives and what can we point to that he's going to be doing in the lives of us around? Would we just pray for the people who are around us, people who may not have a relationship yet? Reflect back on what he's doing. Join me in prayer, please. In the worshiping time. Father, you're so good. Like I start most of my prayers with that because it's it's something I can't get away from. You are so perfect, Father. You do work. You do perfect work with imperfect people. I don't even know how that works. But Father, you make it work. And Father, today, um, just as we close this off, I just I pray that our t- our hearts would be broken for you, Father. We would. Um, come to a point of just love and appreciation for what you're doing, for what you've done in our hearts already, Father, but looking towards the future, 
for what you are doing in here in the United States, over in East Asia, in all parts of the world, Father. Your hand has touched all of them and your son has authority over all of it. And we know that he's reigning now. We know that he is working through the hearts and minds of so many people that we can't even understand. Would we just come to a place of appreciation and peace and understanding for who you are, Father, and what you're doing? And for those of us who don't have a relationship with him today, Father, would you just break their hearts for you? Would you bring them to you, Father, as I know you're doing in so many other areas? Father, you are so good. We go from here remembering that and loving that part of you in every aspect of our lives. Sons, name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.